Welcome to Wise Guides, a wake-up in science education, a student-led podcast series produced for the New York State Children's Environmental Health Center, a product of HBCAC, and their Prevention is the Cure campaign. And now, here's your Wise Guides. Welcome to the Wise Guides podcast, a wake-up call in science education. We're just a couple of high school and college kids talking about the world and talking about science to keep you informed. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about environmental health topics and connecting with researchers to share their wisdom on this not-so-often-talked-about topic. I'm Savannah. That's Matt. Let's introduce ourselves real quick and get right into it. Hi, my name is Matthew Miller. Uh, I'm a student at the Morris County School of Technology in Morris County, New Jersey, and I have been a student ambassador for the Huntington Breast Cancer Action Coalition since December of 2019. Hi, I'm Savannah Zafar. I'm from Suffolk County, New York, and I'm going to be a freshman in college attending St. John's University. I'll be studying law and policy, also studying environmental sustainability. And I am the senior student ambassador for HBCAC. Okay, so why don't we go a little in depth about (laughs) what HBCAC is. Uh, So it was founded by Karen Miller 30 years ago. Um, who was an established interior designer struggling with identity after being diagnosed with breast cancer. With her newfound complication, she was determined to answer the questions as to why she got breast cancer. Why am I sick if I've never smoked? Why is this happening now? How is it that I'm a healthy individual who exercises and eats well, but I still got diagnosed? Karen, the most amazing and caring and coolest woman ever, was just a normal person. She was in her 40s and she had been healthy her entire life, and all of a sudden she got cancer. And I feel like this is something a lot of people can relate to. I know, like, for me, my aunt got diagnosed with cancer just uh, about five years ago, and there's really no pre-existing conditions in my family that would make us think that genetically or any type of inheritance that cancer would somehow occur in her. So I think that as we talk more about environmental triggers, which is some the whole entire topic of today's general environmental health crash course, we'll get into some of the reasons why people can get cancer and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and diabetes and all these plethora of diseases by one single link. Right. As Savannah was saying, uh, it wasn't her family history or any of her genetics that predisposed her to um, breast cancer, but it was her environment, the environmental triggers Um, that accumulated throughout her lifespan, ultimately um, led to her diagnosis. Right. So think about, well, we're going to get into it. I know I'm trying to, I'm kind of jumping the gun, but on a daily basis, you are exposed to hundreds and thousands of chemicals on a daily basis from the toothpaste that you're going to be using in the morning to the plastic water bottle you drink out of later. So the bioaccumulation of all these toxins and chemicals over the course of 40 years is definitely something that could have triggered her cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So HBCAC is an amazing organization, the Huntington Breast Cancer Action Coalition, and its mission is to increase public awareness of environmental links to disease, to gain support for the precautionary principle, which is basically just preventative medicine and trying to catch something before trying to prevent a disease before it happens and like mediating the disease, urging the public to demand more funding for environmental health research and encourage a better safe than sorry attitude 
towards a personal lifestyle. So what is environmental health and why is it important? And why are we doing this podcast? What is the purpose of all this? Matt, take it away. All right. (laughs) All right. So as defined by the NEHA, environmental health relates to the science and practice of preventing human injury and illness and promoting well-being by identifying and evaluating environmental sources and hazardous agents and limiting exposures to hazardous physical, chemical, and biological agents in air, water, soil, food, and other environmental media or settings that may adversely affect human health. So basically, it's... (laughs) It relates to factors in our environment that pose a threat to human health. Exactly. Yeah. And also the NEHA, the NEHA is the National Environmental Health Agency. Just put it out there if anyone wanted to know. Um, <laughs> so they're a very accredited source. We know what we're doing. We're very yes, professional. Exactly. Super professional. Yeah. <laughs> so why is environmental health important? Like who cares? Well, It's super important because we put so much emphasis on trying to find a cure for diseases. Why is it a walk to cure cancer? Why is it a walk to cure Alzheimer's and all these things? Which is obviously, yes, you don't want people to get sick. And after they've gotten sick, you want to treat them the best way you can because they're often our loved ones and you care about them, et cetera, et cetera. However, we fail to recognize that environmental factors are so prevalent in being responsible for triggering diseases. Right. We don't, we don't put enough emphasis on preventing it before it even happens. We have to then trace back our steps and try and find a cure after it's done its damage. Um, it's counterintuitive. Definitely. And it's, 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 it's kind of like you fail the test. Okay, what do you want to do now? You can't do anything else, but do better on the next one. But had you studied for the test, you would have gotten the score you expected in the first place. I mean, obviously, you can't compare exams to, you know, um, a terminal illness or fatal illness or just any illness in general. But I feel like it's something to think about, like the precautionary principle, like we mentioned earlier. Like, why can't we practice preventative medicine just as much as we we try to search for cures and stuff? I still think that's important. But I feel like if we studied preventative preventative medicine more, we would see less people getting sick, which is what we want. Yep. So why why are you doing this, Matt? Why, uh, why did so when I joined in um, late 2019, uh, so just a little background about me. Um, I go to the Morris County School of Technology, which is a vocational school, and it gave me the ability to pick a career path that I was interested in. So when I was a freshman, I chose healthcare sciences, and you have to keep this course throughout your four years of high school. And during those first two years, I'm an uh, incoming junior this year, I learned that most of the curriculum and even what they teach in medical school is all based around secondary and tertiary prevention. There's barely any emphasis on primary prevention, which is what HBCIC focuses on. Um, There's not enough Uh, emphasis on legislation changes. There's not enough uh, control within the community. And really, we need to see that shift, that paradigm shift between uh, focusing on finding a cure and instead focusing on preventing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And Savannah, so what got you interested in this field? So 
to, to be quite frank and to be honest, um, all I know is that I love the environment and I love people and animals and trees and plants and everything that inhabits the environment. That being said, I really hate external factors like human activities that lead to pollution and faulty legislation that plays a role in negatively impacting the environment's health. There is such thing as environment health. Like mm-hmm. I feel like people often just think about public health and the environment, but the environment's health dictates how healthy we are. And that's scary. And we don't give enough um, care and we don't nurture the environment as we should. So I've been an intern with HBCAC for five years now, and I've seen the ins and outs of how legality can actually dictate the well-being of an individual and the environment around us. And Mm -hmm. because of that, I hope to pursue a career as like an environmental lawyer. I'm just going to casually throw it out there so I can try my (laughs) very best to fight injustices in our government that pose a health threats on the public and the environment. But it sounds like a lofty goal. However, well, I mean, we see all of these advocates nowadays around our age who are standing up for things that they're passionate about, whether it be the Black Lives Matter movement or just climate change in general. And I think Savannah is a great representation of that advocacy. Uh, You know, she's been doing this for many, many years now and wants to continue down that path, which is fantastic. Aw, thanks, Matt. That's so (laughs) sweet. You too, Matt. No, but... Seriously, going back to what you said, I feel like what like fuels me, like what fires me is the fact that I'm so passionate and angry. Can we talk about <laughs> the anger for a second? Mm-hmm. It, I'm angry. And I think that is why I'm so adamant on trying to use myself as a person to make the change, to be the voice for people that don't necessarily have a voice. Mm-hmm. Like Greta Thunberg, I want to be her. That that girl is incredible. I I feel like I could talk for talk about her for hours, but it's truly like a youthful voices that are that will be responsible for making change in the future. Right. Karen Miller's favorite thing to say is that guardians of the future. Guardians of the future, because we <laughs> are. We're basically going to be cleaning up the disastrous mess that current policyholders and lawmakers and administrations are making today. Right. It's our um, responsibility. This is the one planet that we have that we can currently inhabit, at least. Who knows what the future will hold. But um, that being said, we have to protect this one place. If we let it deteriorate progressively like we have been doing, um, what's to say we can live here in a, hun- a few hundred years from now? Um Forget 100 years from now. I'm talking about 50 years down the line. Wow. I I don't want to go off on a tangent. And Mel, you can (laughs) decide whether this is that or not. But I feel I'm terrified to have kids. I don't Mm. want them to be growing up in a future that's just like alienated and polluted and disgusting. Mm. Like that terrifies me. What's going to happen to Long Island? We're an island. We're sinking. Mm. I'm sinking. You're in New Jersey. You'll be okay. I'm well, sinking though. That's if the shore doesn't come on all the way <laughs> and like 
just submerge the entire state. Yeah, but I no, I, like... I agree with you. It is definitely scary, and if we don't do anything about it, um, we we don't know the exact effects of it yet. But I can tell you right off the bat, it's not going to be good. Yeah. yeah, it's only only bad things, unfortunately. Yep. But hey, positive. Let's be positive for a yeah. second. We there are so many people like us out there that actually care about making a difference, and I feel like that is like the one ray of light that we have is that we have to support one another and trying to make a greater and bigger initiative and just to keep let them hear us. We want to shake them. Mm-hmm. We want we want um, policyholders to be afraid of what we have to say. We don't want to be polite and we don't need to sit still and you know be complacent mm-hmm. we have to cause it sounds like i'm starting we're trying to start a revolution but like <laughs> no we have to cause some noise because that's the only thing that's the only way that things get better in a sense and there are so many misconceptions around what's predisposed to you from genetics and what you can get from the environment i feel like one of the first things that i've learned that Almost 90% of cancers are not caused by genetics. And I feel like every single time someone said, oh, it's in my genes, probably that's why so-and-so got cancer. And I look at them and I'm like, I'm so apologetic. I'm really sorry that that person has cancer. However, you are wrongly mistaken. Only like 10% of cancers Mm -hmm. are actually genetic. Did you know that, Matt? I mean, I, no, I did not know that actually initially. Um, and right now I know there's science uh, coming, you know, taking shape that will try to identify some of these environmental triggers and how they might affect you later down the road. Um, but right now we don't have super concrete evidence. Like if you walk outside, what's the likelihood of totally. you getting cancer yeah. 50 years from now if you walk outside for 30 minutes near like a power plant totally. or something? Um, there's nothing to say that uh, it won't affect you or it will affect you. And hopefully that science will continue to take shape within the following years. But it it was shocking to me that over 90% of cancers are just linked to your environment and not genetics, Guys, not your family history. is almost 100%. <laughs> 90%, 90% <laughs> That's Ninety percent is so much. That's like that's a great that's a mm-hmm. great test score to get on a bio exam. Speaking of bio, that I did not do very yeah. well in, in school, like at all. Um, it was really hard. <laughs> okay, something that we want to mention was like in like your bio class or in your science class, but bio in particular, I think. When you talk about karyotyping and genetics and Mendelian genetics and patterns of inheritance and like cancer genes, BRCA genes, stuff like that. Like you never talk about environmental triggers. You never say like, oh, person A might've been predisposed to benzene because they lived right next to a gas station their entire life. While person B lived in a very rich area and didn't have a gas station on like six miles within the radius. Right. Um, The only, the only thing that um, we covered uh, we had this chapter in biology, and this might be a little off topic, um, but it was all about cancer and it was about just genetics and all that kind of stuff. And uh, 
we were learning about the James Zadroga Health and Compensation Fund for all of the 9-11 gotcha. first okay. responders. Um, that was actually special because all of the other bio mm -hmm. majors or um, people who took bio in other schools, no one learned about these causes and effects of 9-11 um, toxicants around the air. And I wasn't alive when that happened, but I could only imagine how much pollution was in the air and how many deadly toxins were inhaled by everyone who and was in the city at like that time. And you know like the worst part about that is that the current administration, I wasn't born then either. So this is two, two different perspectives on a terrible tragedy that we didn't even really necessarily experience, but we definitely have learned and um, felt the effects in a certain way. Like I know like my parents were like deeply affected and et cetera. And I'm sure your parents probably feel the same way. Mm -hmm. But what's really sad about it is the current administration at that time, literally like a, I don't even know the exact timeline, but like a week after that giant chemical plume sent God knows how many chemicals into the atmosphere, into the, to the air You're right. that people were, men, women, children, dogs, birds, everything was breathing in contaminated mm -hmm. air. They tried to reopen the economy the next week and said, hey, everything's fine. Go outside, take a walk, get some fresh air, ironically right. enough. Go shopping. Don't be scared. There's nothing to be scared about. But in fact, there's everything to be scared about. The government made everyone um, believe and they reasoned that uh, to first responders, to anyone living in New York City at the time, that it was safe. It was safe to go out. It was safe to resume regular practices. And people went back to work. And it was almost like they, they didn't take the precautions to warn people. They didn't take the precautions to even study what could possibly be in the air. And we've seen, you know, cancer, other diseases evolve from this exposure to these toxins. And that's what James Zadroga fought for in his Health and Compensation Act. And truly, it was just a mistake, honestly, by the government. Um, they thought it was safe and it really wasn't. And they exposed hundreds of thousands of people to toxicants that we probably still haven't identified. You're absolutely right. I don't want to pull like random statistics out of my brain, but I know that over 50% of the chemicals that were in the giant like explosion are not identified. They just aren't. It's just like it's just wow. a combination of heavy wow. metals, but when I say heavy metals, you probably think of like lead and stuff like that. But there's hundreds and thousands mm -hmm. of other types of heavy metals that could very well have been in that chemical plume. So it's really hard to say right. Right. what exactly people were exposed to. And it's so disappointing that yeah. the government that is supposed to protect you and keep your best interests in mind kind of were very – no, they were super careless and mm -hmm. dehumanized. Like, very just like, okay, thrown to the wolves, go out, let's see what happens. Years down the line. Yeah. Which is why, I, I mean, you've kindled in me a new interest in your career path. You know, I, I never knew what you were going to 
take in college before this? You've probably told me. I just didn't register in my head. But wow, that that is definitely it's a weird a really combination cool because I feel like people when I say like oh like I'm studying like legal studies, which is like such a weird. I don't want to. I can't curse. So, <laughs> but it's just like a weird like kind of like BS major. I feel like a little bit to a certain extent because it's like okay, what about law? Do you want to study? You want to be a lawyer? Cool, whatever. I feel like for me, it's like I'm so interested in the actual policy that is responsible for enacting like pollution among our earth, which in turn impacts our mm. health on a massive scale. Who's responsible for making like, like the XL pipeline? Why is it okay for that? Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm very interested about. Like, so that pipeline is going to leak oil okay. into God knows how many water resources. Those water resources are going to be contaminated. Mm-hmm. And then, the drinking water will be consumed by the inhabitants of that area, the animals in that area, and then they're going to get sick and then generations from them. We don't think enough about what we do and how it affects everything around us, not just humans, not just the planet, but literally everything. You know, the ecosystem depends on one another. And when you have one even small shift, you can have a colossal impact. And I feel like this is something that we could probably talk we could give a bio lesson on this. I have my notes. I still have them. <laughs> yes. I haven't thrown them out. This is a this is an entire topic that is so pivotal. It can make or break an entire ecosystem. One one thing could go wrong and everything yep. collapses. Definitely. Absolutely. All yep. right. That was a that was good. That was a quick tangent. Let's move on. I don't even know where we are anymore. What is it? What day is it? Just kidding. It's been 20 minutes, but. (laughs) Okay. So, Savannah, if I were to ask you how many people you think die from unhealthy conditions in their environment every year on average, how many people would you guess? This is like a loaded question. I feel like the number is probably super high, but I really (laughs) have no idea. I'm going to say like, geez, I don't even know. Uh, Like... The six million. See, I I was thinking yeah. like five uh, million before I knew what okay. the actual statistic was. But believe it or not, the WHO found that it's twelve point six million people every year, every year, just from uh, like unhealthy conditions oh, in your environment. Nothing with genetic, nothing linked to just family history. Like living just in, in your just, environment. Oh my god. Oh, Every year. big side, big side. That's so sad. That's so sad. Didn't should absolutely not be happening. Very upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we're gonna be we're gonna talk a little bit more about health disparities. But when you say unhealthy conditions, you're really talking about lack of access to just like clean water and mm-hmm. any type of food, whether it's healthy food or not just literally any type of food source, you don't really have access to that. You're not necessarily practicing proper sanitation because just the resources aren't there. If people don't have the resources Mm -hmm. to live a somewhat satisfied life, like just living to the bare minimum, you can't, you're not worrying about your health necessarily. You're worrying about survival. At that point, I would rather survive than be healthy. Do you know what I mean? So these people that Mm -hmm. are unfortunately dying from their literal environment it's just 
they don't have access to resources. Right. They don't. Um, and that's truly sad um, because oh, we take yeah. so much for granted. Uh, we really do. Um, you know, we complain when uh, we wake oh, up yeah. and the coffee yep. isn't brewed. Um, we'll wake up and don't have any water to drink for days on end. Um, so really, we, we have nothing that we shouldn't be fortunate about. Uh, we really have so much more. Um, which is others. why it's so important for us to make responsible choices. I feel like we could do an entire episode on just outsourcing pollution. More developed nations take for granted. they We outsource our pollution to poorer countries, and then we blame those countries for not joining on to cleaner and greener initiatives. And it's like, you can't tell someone that you are physically drowning stop drowning and pick your head up above water. It's not really how it works. Mm -hmm. Unless you give a helping hand and say, here, put a life vest on and I'm going to swim you to shore. Wow. That's, that's a really <laughs> interesting analogy. I never, did you just come up with that? Yes. <laughs> wow. That was good. Thanks. But no, but that's, that's literally what I think. And um, oftentimes these unhealthy conditions that are in these unfortunately, um, more impoverished countries are, yes, by the political regimes, by so many other, like so many other factors, but another giant one to consider is that it's countries like us that are, you know, not helping them. <laughs> we kind of, we're making their conditions worse and then we blame them mm. for not mitigating those conditions that we're imposing upon them. But that's a whole, we can, we can get into that a lot later. Okay. Okay. So COVID. That's a thing right now. Yes. And COVID-19 changes everything in our environment. And that's really changing the way we live. I know my school, which is opening back up in September. Actually, no, I shouldn't say opening back up. They're doing a hybrid plan right now. They're giving uh, students the ability to choose between those two options at the moment. You know, this could change by the time this podcast is released. Everything's changing very quickly, yeah. Yeah, Everything changes all the time. Nothing is really stable anymore. And we can blame, we can partially put, uh, blame COVID-19, uh, no, partially blame <laughs> the environment and how we treat the environment for COVID-19. It's very likely that the way we live our daily lives can affect what diseases and infections break out. And I think COVID-19 could be a a good example of that. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And also we can, this is, this is COVID-19 is its own episode within itself. So we can acknowledge that right now, but we definitely felt like that was something to mention because we're not totally ignoring that that's a thing right now. I mean, Matt and I are using a platform and we're basically FaceTiming, <laughs> except we're not FaceTiming yeah. where we would probably otherwise be doing this in person probably. Right. But I feel like there's so many things about COVID-19 that are coming out about how it's helping the environment or how it's hurting the environment. Well, the fact of the matter is that COVID-19 has stopped a lot of environmental initiatives. And I'm not trying to just make a blanket statement, but I've like read New York Times articles about how carbon emissions and chemical emissions in general by like companies and factories those laws have been laxed because of the demand for certain things like masks and gloves and 
necessities that people are starting to need on a daily basis now that we re- weren't really needed before. So now companies are going over their quota in terms of carbon emissions and heavy mm. metals that are, that, are, that they're releasing into the air. So that's not very good for the environment or the people living around yeah. it. COVID-19 better teach us that, yeah. I mean, it, it taught me personally, that we're not ready for such a big shift. And if we don't do our part in our environment and in our daily lives to change some of the things, some of the guilty pleasures that we take for granted that significantly harm the environment, then uh, we're, we're on the path to another huge shift that no one's going to see coming. Absolutely. And we weren't ready for this. So who says we're going to be ready for the next one, especially seeing how you're right. People act today. How about just Mm. find access to resources. I'm sure you have access to the internet. If you're Mm -hmm. reading articles from maybe not so credited places, (laughs) just form an educated opinion, form a well-rounded opinion. Forget educated. From a well-rounded oh. opinion. That's all. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to leave the COVID thingy. We just want to acknowledge it just so that people aren't like, why are they talking about it? A big thanks for all those that joined us today. Remember to stay safe, stay healthy, and make informed decisions. This podcast is the beginning of another extension of efforts from the Huntington Breast Cancer Action Coalition and the New York State Children's Environmental Health Centers to help people live healthier lives by not being reactive, but by encouraging everyone to be proactive and make wise choices when it comes to health for ourselves, our families, and communities. Check out our blog at preventionisacure.org slash wisepodcast, and check back with us for more conversations on environmental health in some fun and unique ways. Thank you, Nice Check. Thank you, HBCAC.